Hello and welcome to A's Plus, San Francisco Chronicle's podcast on the Oakland A's and Major League Baseball. I'm your host, Chronicle A's beat writer Susan Slusser, and today we are joined by Seth Brown, who made his big league debut at Kansas City this week and got hits in his first two at-bats. He'll talk about being one of seven children growing up in Oregon and about making the A's big league roster this year after not being a spring training invitee. Then David Feldman and I talk about some upcoming tough decisions the A's will have to make with September call-ups, including Matt Harvey in or out. And we'll talk a little bit about Seth Brown and the A's upcoming schedule and the drive for 97 wins. All of that next on A's Plus. Our guest today on the A's Plus podcast is new A's outfielder Seth Brown. Seth, how does that sound to you? New A's left fielder. You make your major league debut here in Kansas City on Monday night, and you're back in there again in, in game two at KC. Uh, you know, it's just something that I've always wanted to hear. So it's uh, every time I hear it, it's uh, it's phenomenal. Uh, what was the whole process like? I mean, you mentioned to us the other day um, how Fran Reardon let you know, let the, uh, let the people know what that was like for you. It's always kind of fun, I think, for the big for the AAA manager when somebody gets their first big league call up. How did Fran handle it? Um, you know, he he really surprised me. I mean, I had no idea it was coming. And uh, like I said, we were hitting in the cage, and he comes in and he said, you know, it's your birth, it's his birthday, and um, you know, so we were all telling him happy birthday and he says he hates his birthday, you know, but he says he loves it when his kids tell him happy birthday. But today he gets a real special gift and it was to tell me I'm going to be a big leaguer. And, um, it was just the biggest shock and, uh, you know, it was pretty emotional, but, um, it's one of those things that I've always dreamed of hearing. And, uh, so finally hearing it, it was just like, uh, you know, one of the most undescribable feelings, you know, I, I was almost in shock, I guess, if you will, but, uh, it was absolutely undescribable. Uh, what was a what was the reaction like from the rest of your teammates too? Oh, and everybody just started giving me hugs, and um, you know it was it was super cool to have them to have them be there, and um, you know to have them all give me hugs. It was just it was awesome, and it went exactly how I, I had dreamed it would go. Yeah, that's so great. Who was your first call to after you got the news? Uh, definitely my dad. Um, you know, and that that's that's when I got, got pretty emotional with him, but. You know, was, uh, I called him and, you know, the first thing I heard was, what's going on, son? And, uh, you know, I, I lost it immediately. But, um, you know, I was able to, to get out a few words. You know, I did it. And uh, it was uh, it was incredible. It's a, even a better story, I think, sometimes when guys aren't in big league spring training, you didn't get an invite. When that time, did you think maybe you might, this might be, you might get an invite? Does it kind of mean a little extra when you kind of show them maybe you should have? I mean, I was definitely uh, hoping for one uh, this spring, you know, but I mean, I've, ne- I've never really been that guy that's been too too wrapped up in it. And uh, I knew coming in, I needed to put my nose down and, and get onto the grindstone and just start working. And um, I was prepared to do it. And, you know, that's kind of the way I've always tried to be throughout my years here is just a guy who's willing to put in the work. And, um, you know, I've, I've tried to create my, uh, my reputation as a guy who's willing to work. And... Uh, that's what I try and do day in and day out. And so coming in, I knew I needed to do it again this year was just work as hard as I can and, you know, kind of stay down. And, uh, you know, thankfully it was just something something special for me this year to, to continue to do what I've been, you know, trying to do for the past few years. And um, as the season went on and on, it was just kind of that feeling of all the work I've put in is, is, is finally starting to pay off. And so it was uh, it was pretty cool. You're a little bit of a later round pick to 19th round. Is that right? Yep. Yeah. Um, and, and at that point, you know, I think especially early in when you're in an organization, people yeah. are like, oh, well, you're not maybe one of the top prospects. Mm-hmm. Is that, do you feel like you start working extra hard then? Is that when you really kind of go like, I'm going to show mm-hmm. that maybe I should be a little higher on the radar? 
Well, it, it really didn't bother me that much. I just wanted an opportunity. And coming from the school I went to, it was a military-ran program. And, you know, work ethic was the biggest thing at that place. And so coming in, I, I mean, especially as a 19th rounder, I knew that I needed to, to outwork everybody if I wanted to be noticed and wanted to prove myself. And so um, I actually, you know, took on the challenge and really enjoyed having that, that persona. like, hey, you know, I'm a 19th round guy. And um, I'm going to have to put in more work than everybody. And, and I wanted it. And so... Um, I just, like I said, I mean, I love the work. And so having that opportunity just to show that I, I love the work was uh, important to me too. You, you said that um, kind of finding the right approach and the right routine was really key to you for you. Tommy Everidge helped you with that. I think A's fans will remember Tommy's local. He's Absolutely. from the North Bay and um, was up briefly with the A's. Uh, and Eric Martins at Las Vegas. What is there anything specific either one of them told you that you really feel like you kind of took and ran with? I, th I think the biggest thing um, was not allowing how I did a certain day affect an approach. Um, once I was able to, to just kind of hone in on a single approach of what I wanted to do, and regardless of how I did a certain night or what you know what changed our pitcher through me, just to continue to grind that approach um, was really the biggest thing that I've learned the past few years. And um, especially as the pitching has gotten better, and now that I'm in the big leagues, it's even more important you know to, to have that approach and to grind it out. And that was the biggest thing that they both have really helped me with, is finding that approach. Uh, how would you describe your approach? Obviously, you're a guy with a lot of power. You have some strikeouts, too, that come with that. Yeah. Is that something you kind of had to get used to, just say, don't let the strikeouts bother you? Do you try to reduce them? How do you uh, approach kind of the strike zone and what you're trying to do at bat to at bat? Well, for me this year, I, I you know, really came into realization that I just needed to hit the ball hard, you know, um, throughout the minor leagues. You know, I had a had an idea that I needed to put the ball in the air. And, you know, for me, once I realized, and it started my second year in high, once I realized that if I can just hit the ball hard every time, it doesn't need to be in the air. If I can just put the barrel on it, good things are going to happen. And so that was really big for me is just really kind of keying in on a good strike zone, getting a good pitch to hit, and, um, you know, getting a fastball timing every time. But realizing that if I can just hit the ball hard, you know, home runs are going to happen. And um, if I can go up there consistently with that same approach, um, you know, I'll be fine. Do you look for a certain area in the strike zone? Are you looking, does it depend on the pitcher? How do you kind of approach each at bat when you're looking for a specific pitch, especially fastball? I mean, it's going gonna, it's gonna to vary a little bit just depending on who I'm facing. But for the most part, I just want to pitch up in the zone, um, you know, over the heart of the plate that I can get, get the barrel on and, um, you know, laying off those tough pitches that are, you know, down in the strike zone and even, you know, out of the strike zone. So, um, like I said, when these pitches get better and better, you know, they, there's pitches that they want you to swing at, and being able to, to lay off those and get the pitch that I want to hit has been a big difference for me. Uh, now, you're one of seven kids, is that right? Your yeah. brother Micah was here for your debut. I think he's, he's here all week, too, oh, yeah. right, with, yeah. with your folks, which is awesome. Um, did, was it an athletic family? Did everybody in the, the entire family play sports? Yeah, for the most part. Um, you know, my older brothers played football. Um, you know, Micah, me and Micah just kind of – Kind of hovered on baseball and uh, you know micah my little brother he was a hell of a football player or, sorry heck of a football player uh, but no athletics has always been in our family my mom put us in everything we i mean i've done everything from swimming to, to racquetball lessons so wow. uh, just anything to wear us out so i mean <laughs> athletics has always been Seven in our family kids, that makes sense yeah absolutely yeah she did anything to make us you know make us tired at night so i mean i've done it all and uh it's it's been pretty pretty awesome to have all those brothers and sisters be around me you know growing up and um, it was definitely special to me. And Mike is in the Marlins organization too, and he's an infielder. Did you guys play on the same teams? What's the age difference? He's we're 
three and four years. I mean, just depending on what part of the year it is, but four years apart. And uh, so it, it, we got to play at LC together after I uh, after I got there. And so that was one of the most special years of my life is being able to kind of be there with him and kind of help him out. And so um, it's just it's pretty cool to watch him kind of grow and progress. Now you you put up monster numbers at Las Vegas. Um, obviously, it's a new ballpark. It looks like it's pretty hitter friendly. How would you describe the ballpark and, and also kind of the season you had it? Like, you know, the whole team scoring runs. Absolutely. Looks like it must have been pretty fun always having guys on base in front of you, etc. Well, I mean, opening up a new stadium, it's it's fantastic, and that that whole facility is just top notch. And um, you know, the fan base there is incredible. So playing in front of a packed house every night. Um, you know, being around guys that are producing. I mean, there, there's not a single hole in the lineup. And so when you're a part of it, um, it's contagious. And so everybody hits and uh, it's, it's so cool to be out there every night, especially when you got a crowd like, in, like you have in Summerlin there. I mean, they're always into the game. And so it's just that energy that's always out there. And it's, it's pretty cool to be a part of. So having guys that are um, also hitting and then hitting in front of you, that helps your season too, right? That makes things a little bit easier for you because you might be in a getting more to hit. Absolutely. No, when you got guys, it's just constant pressure on the pitcher to make pitches. And, um, you know, so we got guys in every part of that lineup that are hitting, um, you know, it's just that much more pressure on that pitcher, you know. And uh, so being in that lineup, it obviously gives you better, you know, better pitches to hit because they, they can't pitch around anybody. And because the next guy behind whoever, you know, whoever they pitch around is going to going to pick up the slack. So um, it's definitely an exciting game to be to be out. Yeah, you were, you were mentioning yesterday that um, you, you were the A's are obviously in a playoff race, but so is Las Vegas, yeah. and that you kind of have been really focused on that. Are you mm -hmm. still paying attention to what's going on there? I mean, absolutely. I mean, I mean, you got to root for the guys you've been with all year, and uh, you know, it's uh, it's definitely awesome. And you know, right now, I got to change my focus a little bit to you know to the team I'm on, and that's that's where my number one focus has to be is where, is how to help this team, and you know how to how to pull my weight around around here, and so. Um, you know, but I obviously root for those guys every day, and it's it's just cool to be around. I mean, we had so many guys down there that, you know, played the game for so long. So I got to learn more than anything. I mean, that was my one of my biggest goals is to learn from everybody, especially you got guys like Eric Campbell down there. You know, he reached out a lot to me, and uh, just to kind of give me those helpful hints and you know, uh, just stuff to help me play the game at a higher level. And so learning for me was the biggest thing, and I'm, I'm going to continue to learn. Um, especially now that I'm up here, you know, we got guys in this clubhouse that are unbelievable. Yeah. And so learning from those guys is, is just so important to me. I'm guessing Nick, Nick Martini was a guy who was probably really helpful to you. Absolutely. Kind of a strange situation. Mm -hmm. Yesterday, he gets yeah. designated for someone to put you on the roster. A little bit of a, of a strange one for you. I mean, yeah, a little bit. Um, but Nick Martini, he, I mean, he's such a good teammate um, and such a good guy. Like I said, I, I learned from him a lot, too. You know, especially in the later months here, as we as we've been going, I mean, he's just such a good teammate, and he's always out there to you know to give me some you know helpful hints and helpful advice, and um, you know, but uh, I got nothing but good things to say about him because he's such a just a phenomenal guy and a great teammate. Your first two at bats uh, in your first game, you get singles. The first your first major league hits, a, a bloop, opposite field bloop. We'll say line drive in the in the box score. Yeah. What what was that moment like for you? Uh, you know, going into that bat, I mean, I was just so nervous um, you know and I, when I stepped in there I, I, I wanted to see one pitch and so I was really hoping he'd throw me a ball just so I could kind of get get that one pitch under my belt and uh, once he was once he threw me a first pitch ball I was I was kind of able to, to relax a little bit um, and a little bit of the pressure took off and you know especially when I got it to when it fell for me it was just kind of like okay there we go now I can play you know and uh, it was just so unbelievable it, I mean it's everything I've ever dreamed of and 
um, especially getting it taken care of in the first at bat was just so so awesome. Yeah, and you're part of a game in which the A's win 19-4. You must have been thinking, like, yes, I would like to be on base for Marcus Simeon all the time because every time you were, he did something. Yeah, no, like I said, I mean, the, these guys are unbelievable. And uh, to jumping from a lineup that's doing well to a lineup that's equally doing, you know, what they were doing, it's just, it's, it's, I'm lucky. And, you know, I feel, spoiled, yeah, I, I feel blessed to be here, you know, and I thank God every day for it. So it's, uh, it's awesome. Wonderful. Thanks so much for joining us on Ace Plus, Seth Brown. Thank you very much. Thanks again to Seth Brown for joining us for the first time on A's Plus. We will be back in just a moment with David Feldman and Feldy's Follies. It's time for my favorite segment on A's Plus, Feldy's Follies. David Feldman back for his uh, usual help breaking down the A's week. Uh, David, last week um, we were talking about moves the A's might make. I'm not sure we saw Seth Brown on the horizon, but he preceded you on this podcast, and so far so good. What are your impressions of Seth Brown? What did you know about him, and what do you think about the decision to bring him up? Didn't know a lot about him. Uh, you know, He had a 30-homer year with Stockton in 2017, so that obviously opened some eyes, but he moved up to mid-lane and his power numbers kind of went back down. In his first few years in the A system, he really didn't show any home run power. Uh, and then this year in Vegas, uh, and again, they're using the Major League Baseball, so you expect a little power upgrade. But 37 homers in 112 games is still eye-opening. Um, and the other numbers go with it, right? He drives in runs, he hits doubles, he scores runs, he can actually steal a base. Pretty athletic player, pretty good defender. Uh so he definitely opened up a lot of eyes, especially in the A's front office. And I was reading somewhere where they talked about a comp to kind of like Brandon Moss, a guy who came into himself a little later, a little older. Yeah, um, that's what Billy Owens called him, Brandon Moss 2.0 in my story the other day. Yeah, and I think I think there's there could be something to that. I mean, he, he is definitely that type of player. Um, pretty good first impression, right? The first game out, he gets the two hits. And then in the second game, he's playing great defense, great catch, great throw. So nothing not, not to like in two games. Um, it was interesting that they jet set it, uh, Martini, who was a big part of this team last year, and and even in his short time this year. Um, you know, we talk about clubhouse presence a lot, and he was a guy who just fit in, um, very popular. So, you know, they made a move, uh, surprising, and they bring him up, and he makes an impact right away, and we'll see if he can keep it going. Yeah, you know, obviously a little younger than Martini, and an organizational guy. Um, yeah, very well liked in the organization, Seth Brown, um, after being... You know, it's unusual. You don't often see guys come up who weren't in big league camp. Um, and then a 19th rounder, that's kind of two two things that he's had to fight against. Um, so it makes it an extra good story, uh, and, and a lot of fun. And the defense is what surprised me. You think of a guy who's mostly been a first baseman in the minor leagues, although he's pl- played plenty of outfield. Don't get me wrong. He's not He's not just a first baseman. It's not like when they stuck Matt Olson in right field and you, you go, oh, he's not really an outfielder. Seth Brown is, is actually a good outfielder. But the arm, you know, if when you, you think of outfielders who moved to first base, you think like, oh, probably didn't really have a good arm. Uh, and absolutely uh, no, no issues there. Great throw to the plate last night. You know, running, diving, catching the gap on a low liner. Um, seems uh, obviously incredibly motivated uh, as guys who don't go to big league camp often are, and comes with a great reputation. So, so, so far, so good. Um, the roster's uh, 
got, as usual, some interesting question marks. Seth Brown might be adding to some of the complications, but the real question is with um, Ramon Laureano back, you know, maybe Sunday, maybe they wait until the homestand. Uh, what happens with Chris Davis? And, uh, and I wrote the other day that, you know, with Mark Canna playing the way he is, uh, you know, I think the feeling around the team very strongly is he's got to stay in the lineup. I think the guy who winds up losing some at-bats, probably more than other people, not totally, but I think it's Chris Davis, you know, that he needs to produce. Now he has the three-hit night the other night. Uh, the home run, uh, okay, that comes <laughs> off Alex Gordon. I don't know if that's a, if you give him an asterisk or not. Still goes out of the park. He has a three-hit night, has an infield single in the second game at KC. He looks a little bit better. But the A's are in a position where they need production, and I think the feeling is sure you can you can bounce Canner around. You can you can have him play the outfield one day. You could have him DH one day. I don't think Chris Davis is going away. He's not going to be sitting on the de- the the bench entirely. But we've already seen that you know Profar's getting some DH at bats now. I think Canna might wind up getting an awful lot of them when Loriano comes back because of, of course Loriano goes in center. What, what what are your thoughts from from afar? Yeah, it's it's dangerous. Uh, when your highest paid player gets benched, uh, and somebody that the team obviously loves very much, the, the players around him and, and the team, but the production is just not there. And, and there are times he just looks lost at the plate, um, especially with fastballs. I mean, he's just late on every fastball. Uh, I don't know why you ever throw him anything but a fastball right now. Uh, he just swings through it. So it, it's going to be a tricky situation. Now, when Loriano comes back, you still have Stephen Piscotty who's out. So there is an outfield position, right? You can move Can over to right field. You can move Grossman back to left. And Seth Brown can go take a seat. Um, there's ways to manipulate that. Um, so that's something they're going to have to look at, too. But this weekend coming up in New York, um, you know, you hate to say it, another big test, but these are big games. And if Chris Davis is struggling in that series and is just an out every time he comes to the plate, Going down the stretch, I don't know how much you can you can afford to have him in the lineup because every game is going to be so important and every out is so important. And if he's not giving you competitive at bats, and unfortunately, too many of these at bats are not competitive. Yeah, that's um, that really is the issue, and it's just a it's a drag on the rest of the lineup. This is a guy that everybody counted on to be sort of the big bat, uh, the the really you know the guy who's protecting people, the guy who's getting other guys probably better. Uh, pitches in their at bats, and that's just gone, just gone from the lineup. Gone. Yeah, and it's, just, it's you know guys are on base, and he comes up, and you don't want to see him come up. Uh, it's just even you know guy on third, less than two outs, you just don't think he's going to put the ball in play. Um, it's just it's unfortunate to watch. It's it's kind of sad to watch. And what what worries me, and I was thinking about this this weekend. We all know about his throwing issues, right? And he he wrote the the Players Tribune article about it, the thing. And he talked about how mental it was. What if hitting becomes mental for Chris Davis? What if that's the new thing? How scary is that? Yeah, you know, a reader pointed out to me that two years ago when he was going through a funk, uh, he said to me something to the effect of, when you're going badly, you forget how good you really are. Uh, and there's obviously something to that. And, I, you know, the con- we've talked about this. The contract, I think, plays into that. Um, you want to do more. Uh, Barry Zito found that out when he signed that enormous contract with the Giants and he tried to do something uh, he wasn't you know he tried to be better he tried to change uh, and it really you know we all know what happened with his Giants career it really trying to do too much just killed him 
And I think there some of that might be going on. You have a couple people have said to me like, "Oh, well, he got his big deal. Like now he's not even trying." No, no, it's the oh, no. op. It's absolutely the opposite. You can see it. Yeah. And you're you're absolutely right. The the A's players love Chris Davis. I mean, he is just he's one of the biggest figures in there, um, and uh, just a fantastic guy. And this is not for lack of hard work. He's probably working too much. He's probably right. overworking. So I think you're right. There's always a mental component to hitting. There's no doubt about it. And the worse something like this gets, the harder it is. And you just start to spiral. And the A's in you know a year, if they're not competitive, that's okay. You let them work it out. But they've given him almost three months here to work yeah. it out. And he's just not, he shows us game here or there, but it's not often enough. No. And it's, it's, it's such a delicate situation with a guy of his stature and, and what he's done and what he means. And he's a terrific um, guy. So it right. does, it makes it harder, you know. If this is a a different a different guy, maybe a, a sort of a DH ish first baseman kind of guy of a few years ago, this isn't an issue. He's probably been designated for assignment or something. <laughs> but this is not that guy. This is a guy who is wonderful and working hard and uh, beloved by his teammates. It's it is tricky, and I think everybody just keeps hoping. Well, this is it. He's he's turned it around and. Uh, that's one of the reasons he stayed in so long is he's doing kind of just enough for them to go like, this is it. Okay, here he goes. Cause we know when he gets going, he just goes on a tear and they've been yeah. waiting and waiting and waiting. And I think maybe they're just not in the situation where they can do that anymore. No. And you know, with the play that can has run, which has been unreal, yeah. uh, how good he's been, uh, you know, moved to center field and definitely not a natural center fielder. And he's making most of the plays now yeah, uh, and even plays he shouldn't be making. Um, with the power, with the average, you got to ride this, you know, ride this as long as you can, because he's, he's hot. He's, he's, you know, for the last month, he's been your best offensive player. And and the A's needed that, especially when Laureano, who was the A's boss, best offensive player went down. They needed someone to pick that up. And Canna has done that and more. Yeah. Well, let's, uh, speaking of guys who are hot, let's, let's turn to some of the other positives. Mike fires. You know, gets off to that horrible start. His ERA is over seven in mid-April. And, you know, people start kind of thinking like, oh, gosh, you know, they gave him a two-year deal. First they designate him, then they re-sign him, give him two years. Uh, What's going on? Uh, Since then, there was the stretch where he lowered his ERA 19 games in a row, as we mentioned. That that truly astonished me. He's won 11 decisions in a row. And I know in baseball now, people don't look that much at wins. But in modern baseball, with the the way the offenses go, particularly this year, uh, winning 11 consecutive, consecutive decisions and then 13 wins, a career high for him, that, that's not nothing. And then you look at the ERA, you know, during this stretch, uh, two, two, four, I think, something like that. Uh, that's pretty impressive in, in this day and age. Every number that he's put up in this 20-start stretch is unreal. Yeah, uh, people don't, they get down on the wins. Okay, 11-0, wins don't matter. How about this? In 19 of those 20 starts, he has left the game with the lead. <laughs> That's incredible. 19 of 20. Yeah, 19 of 20, he, he has given up no more than three runs. And most of the time, so it's much less. That's doing the job. That's doing right? the job. Now, the bullpen is his blown seven of those leads, and he's got the game in Detroit. Right. But that's eight wins there. I mean, you're talking about a guy who's going to have 21 wins right now. Going into September, he could be 21 and three, yeah, record-wise. Now, 
we look at all the stats and every stat for the entire season, not just for this 20 game stretch, even including those first six starts that were not good. Uh, he is still top seven or eight in every pitching category that matters, right? In ERA, in whip, uh, home run percentage, in opponent batting average, opponent OPS plus, everything. You know, when people are starting to fill out their Cy Young ballot, if this continues, yeah, you got Verlander and you got Cole and you got Mike Fires should be right there. Absolutely. Which um, is, uh, yeah. That's that that's just crazy to even think about. How does he do it, David? How does he do it? Cuz you look at it, he doesn't throw hard, you know, he doesn't have crazy nasty deception or a funky pitch. Well, what what is the I mean, obviously he's a smart pitcher. He knows how to pitch. He's a veteran. He's calm. He throws strikes. What else is making him so effective? I still think that his ability to work up in the zone and throw fastballs up in the zone for strikes makes him so tough to hit. Um, yeah, he's going to give up a home run now and then, and you'll see, you know, we talked about four pinches that are fence high, and if you can get on top of it, you're going to hit it out. But most of these guys, especially in the launch angle era, they have trouble with the high fastballs. You see more pitchers going this way. Verlander this year has definitely changed. He is pitching up in the zone more than he ever has. Um, and with his velocity, uh, he can get away with a few more mistakes. That's what's impressive about Mike Fires. He doesn't have the great velocity, so he has to have pinpoint control, and he's doing that. He's spotting his pitches so well, and then he's mixing in his off-speed stuff and getting guys to chase down low, really changing the eye level. Um, you talk about a strike zone that is you know, hollow of the knee to the letters. He uses every inch of it. Um, fastball's up, everything else down, and down and away for the most part. You talk about him being, he was a free agent pitcher. The A's non-tendered him. Anybody could have signed him in the offseason. And you look at the other big free agent pitchers. Patrick Corbin, six years, $140 million. Charlie Morton, two years, $30 million. Nathan Avaldi, four years, $68 million. Mike Fires, two years, $14 million. Yeah. Uh, I mean, a, that's it a really, that is Even if he does nothing next year, it's a bargain. It's a bargain, and it was a smart sign. We, I know we were all kind of shocked when he was non-tender because um, he pitched so well at the end of last year. Yes, he was frustrated he didn't get to start the wild card game, but it was still a shock that he was not at least tender. But brilliant for the A's to bring him back at this bargain with what was everything else that was out there on the market. They probably got the best deal for this season. Yeah. Well, you know, speaking of, that kind of dovetails into a, another little topic I want to talk about perfectly because uh, Matt Harvey – 11 year, $1 million, uh, 11 year, one year. Let's start over with that. (laughs) 11 million, one year deal with the angels. Uh, And when I spoke to him a couple weeks ago, when the A's signed Matt Harvey to a minor league deal after his disastrous time with the angels, um, one of the things he mentioned was the angels wanted him to pitch up in the zone. As you mentioned, that is the trend. Uh, and he's just not that kind of pitcher. And it did not work for him. He's trying to get back to what he was, you know, use the lower part of the zone. Some guys are more effective doing that. And, you know, when you've got a veteran who knows himself and he, he figures out quickly, this is working up in the zone, is not doing it. Um, yeah, maybe, maybe you might want to let him go to his strengths. So the first two outings at Las Vegas, very good. Last night he pitches at Las Vegas, not as good. Uh, you know, gives up four runs, uh, walks a few. He didn't walk any first first start. I, I'm not sure what the A's plans are for him. And he told me he's got an out uh, Thursday uh, of this week. Uh, and if there's another team that has interest in him, 
on the big league level, uh, of course he would have to go because, you know, this is a guy who's unsigned and, and wants to show that he can still pitch in the big league. So that makes sense. If I'm the ace, you know, and you look at their bullpen and you look at some of the options they have in middle relief uh, and, and guys who maybe just aren't doing the job, I, I tell my Matt Harvey, like, look, we, we've probably got a pretty good shot for you to be on this September roster. It might be in middle relief. Hey, you might get a spot start here and there, but this is a contending team. You could be pitching in the playoffs. Weigh that into consideration. Even if you're getting a starting interest in being a starter from elsewhere, you, you could be a, on a playoff team. Now, that's going to be an interesting decision if that happens, but I certainly hope the A's are considering him for a September call-up because this is a guy with a good track record, maybe not the, mo- the last couple of years, but he clearly wants it, and, and I think that, that goes a long way. And if he's been used wrong and is now kind of trying to regain what he had, it makes him kind of interesting. It is interesting. Um, and a guy with postseason experience, pitching a World Series with the Mets. Um, and you talk about a guy who wants it. Uh, I know his reputation in New York was of uh, a little different. Yeah. Um, tough hey, guy you know, to deal he's with. 24 and in New York. <laughs> exactly. And, and he's a the star. Black Knight. Yeah, he's got everybody around him. Um, and now he's been brought back to earth in a big way. Uh, struggled in New York. You know, struggled pitching last year with the Reds. Did not go well with the Angels. So he, he needs to want it. Yeah. Better with um, the Reds, though. That's why you got the $11 million. Yeah. Better with the Reds showed that he could still go out there and, and give you uh, a chance to win every time he started. Um, did not go so well with the Angels, but I'm with you. If, you, if you're trying to change a guy, you can't. Sometimes it's just not going to work. Sometimes you've got to let the guy pitch to his strength. Um, and if the A's were to come to him and say, listen, we have a spot on, on the roster in September for you. We'll jet set Tanner Anderson off the 40-man, because I don't know why Tanner Anderson's still on the 40-man. That's just me. Uh <laughs> Um, and we'll make space and, you know, you're going to pitch out of the bullpen probably if we need a starter. Well, we'll see, but to give him that option to be on the major league roster in a pennant race, it'd be interesting if he would take that. Yeah. I, I, then not knowing if he has any other options to go right. start somewhere, but you know, as opposed but, to maybe Baltimore or something to start, you know, just throwing anything. I have no idea who, who might have interest, but I think he's done right. enough at Vegas that somebody, you know, everybody needs pitching. You'd think somebody's going to take a flight for free. The angels are paying us. His deal. This is just right. a prorated uh, big league minimum, minor uh, minimum. So I, I you got to think somebody's going to go like, hey, let's see what he's got. I would. I would. If I'm the Detroit Tigers, definitely. I got Edwin Jackson pitching in my rotation. Yeah. Why can't I have Matt Harvey pitching in my rotation too? I mean, That'd yeah, kind of fun. You, you'd think somebody would take a flyer on him. Yeah. So yeah, that's a that's an interesting one. Now the A's have a lot of other uh September roster decisions coming up and a packed 40 man that's why Martini left him although I suspect a, a little bit with Martini is first of all you know teams have a lot of 40 man roster decisions of their own coming up and might be a little less likely to claim him but also if a contender claimed Martini this does him a little potentially a bit of a favor he'd be on the roster by August 31st and could be playoff eligible yeah. so that might be a little nod to to what Nick Martini did do for them last September. I don't know that for a fact. And the A's, even when the A's do something nice for a player, they never admit to it. <laughs> so, um, uh, you know, I, I think we all kind of noticed that Marco Estrada got uh, is to his tenure uh, before the A's let him go. And uh, I, right. I can't get anybody to say like, yeah, that's why we hung on to him was to let him get to his tenure. But uh, anyway, that aside, the September roster, we have 
Um, lots of interesting stuff. Sean Mania, clearly they're trying to figure out how they wedge him back into not really the rotation because there's not there's no room in the rotation. But I asked Bob Melvin the other day, do you potentially go to a six man? And he said nothing's out of the question. Uh, and he mentioned that you know string of sixteen games in a row in September. They've got guys like Brett Anderson in particular who has not pitched a full season in a long time. I could easily see Manaya getting a start or two in that stretch. That would be nice. Or we've talked about Homer Bailey and his home road splits. They're getting better, the road splits, you know, with the start at San Francisco and then uh, the first game in KC. Um, You know, maybe they try to push things around a little bit. So he starts a little bit more at home. But I think that would be reasonable. Uh, So I think Shamanaya probably fits in there somewhere pretty well. Um, And then what do you do with Jesus Lazardo? He has not gotten his uh, innings up, I think, quite where they would like. And I think with Las Vegas going to the playoffs, that's a nice, maybe little experience for him, AAA playoffs, get him a taste of that, and then bring him up. I don't think this is a guy who's a September 1st call up based on the innings and the age and the experience and, and what Las Vegas is doing. I mean, you can't take Manaya and maybe Harvey and maybe Paul Blackburn and, uh, yeah, <laughs> with them going into the playoffs. Yeah. I was thinking about it too. They have, they have a two game lead with nine games to play a uh, pretty good chance. They're going to, they're going to make the postseason, which gives you an, another week down there. Yeah. I don't see Lizardo coming up on September 1st. As you said, his innings, he's only thrown 37 innings total this year. Um, so you can get a little bit more out of him there. There's not really a spot for him to start at the moment. Right. Um, I, I don't know if they're looking to use him as a reliever. I would. Um, I absolutely would. But I could see there would. I could see they're thinking if they're just like, hey, we'll bring him up to just kind of experience the September stretch run. That'll be good for him, and and maybe get him some innings in you know in, in a blowout or something. I can see that too. With with his stuff, having seen it in spring training a couple of years, I would yeah. absolutely use him in relief. But. Uh, there, there are good arguments on both sides. There are. So I think it's a thing where maybe you let him finish out the year with Vegas, see how far they go, and then you'll see where you're at on the Major League side if there's a spot for him. Again, not on the 40-man, right? So you need to make room for him there as well. So it's, uh, I think it's a wait-and-see on Lazardo. I think what's interesting for this uh, is the the infielder they're going to call up, right? Because yeah. They're going to call up Mateo or Barreto. Maybe both. I don't yeah. know. It, we'll, but, we'll learn something if it's just one or the other. That will be very fascinating. It is. And I was looking at Mateo, who got off to such a great start this year. But you know what? Over his last 97 games, and that's a lot of games. I'm sorry, that's 47 games. That's still a lot of games. Uh, <laughs> Small sample he's size. Only yeah. He's only hitting 232 in his last 47 games. Yeah. And much like Barreto... Lots of strikeouts, not a lot of walks. Yeah. Um, you know, and Barreto, again, is he, you know, this is third full year at AAA. We know what he can do there. And he's on another one of his hot streaks now. He's at 430 over his last 11 games. Uh, so the A's have to decide. And like you said, I think who they call up will give you, I would think, a little bit of a, a picture into what they're thinking for the future. Right. Because they're, they're out of options next spring. And I still like Mateo because he could be such a uh, potentially great weapon as a pinch runner in a playoff situation. You know, you've got the roster space in the, in the playoff situation uh, and uh, that you have a need for a guy who just has blazing speed. Uh, and sometimes those guys wind up being difference, difference makers in key playoff games, in close playoff games. So 
uh, even if he's not hitting, I, I love him as a pinch runner. So, uh, you know, hey, they, once Las Vegas, I keep wanting to say Nashville, once Las Vegas is out of the postseason, I, I said Sacramento recently too, when we were talking, didn't oh, I? Oh, nice. Were you going to talk Vancouver well, too? Well, I'm just going to start saying AAA. Um, just, <laughs> just simplify it. Uh, uh, you know, you once those guys are out of the playoffs, and, and if somebody's on the 40-man, just bring them up anyway. So, um, yeah. you know, the only thing that it's just a little bit of extra hotel cost and packs the team playing a little bit more. Uh, third catcher, what do you do there? Because that's uh, a choice between a veteran, Dustin Garneau, uh, and Sean Murphy. You know, Bob Melvin's kind of hinted a little bit that because of Murphy's knee issues this year, you know, he had the knee surgery and had a little bit of a setback at one point with the same knee. Uh, that maybe they might shy away from him. Uh, again, if he comes up, it might be more of a l- l- experience the pennant race, get your feet wet, because he is their top position player prospect. Uh, but, you know, Garneau knows what he's doing. To me, you know, Fegley has been working. First of all, Fegley's hitting, which is, you know, the, in the second half, he has been much better. He got off to that hot start and then did nothing in June and July. Um People knock him for his defense. He's actually been working really hard on pitch framing. And I think that uh, emphasis on pitch framing, which has been better, uh, has made him a little bit more vulnerable to balls in the dirt and stopping balls. And that is something that I think is a concern late in games. Um, Chris Herman is is fine. Um, I don't know that he is a standout uh, necessarily in, in any respect, but Dustin Garneau seems to me like he might be a better option late in games, uh, in September, if they want to have somebody who can basically just throw themselves at the ball and, and stop, uh, you know, a story or, or trying in from, from throwing something away. Yeah, I agree with you with Garneau, uh, another 40 man issue. <laughs> There's no other catchers on the 40 yep. man. It's going to be interesting. It's going to be, you know, they got a lot of guys. They have to move around. They're gonna to have to make decisions. And there's gonna be they some need hard to bring. Up, yeah, there's gonna be some articles, and they need to bring up a third catcher. There's no doubt. Um, yeah. So that's gonna happen. Um, I I think Garneau's probably just the better fit, especially for a team in a pennant race, yeah. where he knows the A's style. He knows what they do. Um, yeah, Herman. This is what I actually thought Chris Herman would be. Uh, not that great. Just yeah. okay. He's okay. You know, he's okay. Um, so give you some flexibility again, if you are going to bring up a Mateo or Barreto to run, he's probably going to be running for the catcher most of the time. So this gives you that, you know, that flexibility. Um, I think Garneau just makes more sense. I have been impressed with Fegley getting back to, to hitting again, um, and being a better hitter than he was. I'm still not a huge fan of his pitch calling. Yeah. Um, there's some interesting decisions that he's made. Um, that I question at times. So I like to see that tighten up a little bit. Um, but he has been much better overall than uh, I could imagine coming in and saying, okay, Josh Begley is going to be your everyday catcher. Yeah. No, he's um, had a nice he, season overall. There's no doubt about it. He, really can, nice he usually contributes in a positive way most of the time. Uh, June and July yeah. were rough. But, um, you know, I, I'd take four months of a season of a, of a pretty good catcher. Uh, that's... It's not a position where you just find uh, too many standouts these days. No, no, and, you, and you're getting production out of the bottom of the order because of him. You know, especially as he's batting eighth and ninth most of the time. So it's, it's such a nice thing. And you know, up and down the order, for the most part, the A's have been pretty consistent. Um, 
you know, uh, we know about the struggles, struggles of theirs. We talked about Piscotty when he was healthy was not having that great of a year. It was such a tough year because he's had so much things go on. It, it, it feels like in the years that we've had Piscotty now, we've never seen the real Stephen Piscotty because of everything outside of the game that's Absolutely. been happening. Absolutely, yeah. Um, I mean, he had a and, fantastic for what he went through last year. It really was a heck of a season, you know. Um, from yeah. sort of late May, early June on, uh, really when the A's kind of caught fire, Piscotty was, you know, a very reliable contributor. But this year, it's been it's been pretty up and down for him, uh, and obviously the injuries has, have not helped. So, uh, yeah, what do you see um, with the A's looking ahead? The Yankees coming up, and then uh, back on at at home. Have you, have you taken much of a look at the schedule? I know you've you have uh, pounded the drum a lot about the tough schedule, but what's what's coming up? Yeah, breaking down the schedule, and once the A's get past the Yankees, uh, they only have one other series against a team with a winning record, and that's the four-game series in Houston. The schedule is starting to turn into the A's favor as we go down the rest of the way. And they have the basically the third easiest as, as far as opponent winning percentage um, in the league coming down here, and that includes these seven games against the Yankees and the Astros. So, as you know, it's my race to 97. You win 97 games, you're going to the playoffs. And for the A's to do that right now, they need just to go 21 and 10. Um, and you think about, okay, seven games against the Yankees and Houston, they can lose all seven and just have to go 21 and three against everybody else. <laughs> <laughs> but the teams okay. that they're playing are beatable. And that's the thing. That's why these last two games in Kansas City, you have to take care of business. Yeah. Um, you know, Cleveland, uh, they have five more games against the Tigers. They're 13-1 and one against the Tigers. 13-1. They've outscored them 94-33. to 33. Talk about not competitive. But they still have six games against the Twins. Uh, they actually have seven against the White Sox, and the White Sox have given them trouble. They've kind of been their Mariners. Uh, you know, they're only 4-8 and eight against the White Sox. So, you know, both teams, the A's and the Indians, are kind of the same boat. Tampa Bay is a little different to me. I, they're not playing as well. Um, you know, they they split a series in Baltimore, which you'd never think was possible. Um, you know, they're in Houston now, and they got beat up last night. Uh, the old position player pitching to mop up. I'm not sure what's going to happen with Tampa Bay as they come down. Their schedule is just okay. It's, it's, they still have a couple games with the Yankees, but only two. Uh, they have a West Coast trip to the Angels and the Dodgers. Um, I'm not sure what's going to happen. I think the A's and the Indians, um, they have a little bit of an advantage, and I think they're going to be racing for that top spot. And remember, if the A's and Indians tie, the A's have the tiebreaker yeah. and would host the wild card game. Yeah, the A's have the tiebreaker against both those teams. So They do. Um, yeah, well, well done by them, at, at least in that part. But, yeah, um, I, I'm not sure that it, it will take night. I think you could get in without 97, depend, obviously, depending on s- some factors. Um, so it's not, I don't think that's like a, ma- they, 21 and 10 is a absolute must depend. Obviously, that's going to happen. No, depending on what happens with Cleveland and Tampa. And, right, but if you go 21 and 10, you're guaranteed. You're in. <laughs> okay. So okay. that's all I thought. It might not <laughs> take that. Seems but very dire. You must go 21 and 10. <laughs> Let's go 21 to 10. And then it's fine. And then it's fine. You don't have to worry about it. And it's fine. You just like that 97 number. That, that They did it last year. You're like, ah, you got to do it every year. I'm saying it's magic. No team in the wild card era that's won 97 games 
has not made the playoffs. There's been a team that win 96, not make it. But yep. no team that's yep. won 97 has not made it. So that's, that's your magic number. And it's, and as good as the A's have played, there's been some stumbles, obviously, the two games against the Giants. Yeah. Stumbles. Um, I, you just, you hate to look back at the 0 and 6 against Toronto, which is really just brutal. When you so think brutal. About it. Yeah. Um, and then there were a couple of really bad losses to the Angels thrown in there, too. Yeah. Um, you hate to see those things bite you in the butt. So that's why coming down the stretch here, this last 31 games, um, again, 24 of them against lesser teams, take care of your business and you're going to be fine. Yeah. This, this is why almost all of those games are bullpen related. And this is why if I'm the A's, I add uh, Harvey and Lizardo into the bullpen. Har- Harvey first, uh, obviously, with that opt-out. Uh, and then Lizardo probably after the playoffs, and I wouldn't be afraid to use him. You know, that's, yeah. Some of those other options have just not not worked out so well. So, uh, you know, but also risky. You maybe not sure what you're going to get. You know, from from either one of them. So, fun stuff. We will we will convene again next week, and we'll have uh, some actual ideas when we talk, David, about who <laughs> some of the first wave of September call ups are, and and some interesting forty uh, man uh, moves potentially again. Yeah, it's going to be real interesting. It's our countdown to 97. So we're going to have to rename the segment. (laughs) Uh, Thanks as always, David Feldman. We will talk soon uh, when your next appearance on Ace Plus. Thanks, Susan. Our thanks again to David Feldman for joining us on Ace Plus. David Feldman is an official scorer and stats expert who appears regularly on Feldy's Follies. Our producers today are G. Allen Johnson and King Kaufman. We will be back next week with more A's Plus. Thanks for listening. A's Plus is part of the San Francisco Chronicle Podcast Network. Audrey Cooper is the editor-in-chief. If you like this show, please subscribe, tell a friend, or give us a review. Follow me on Twitter at Susan Slusser, or you can email me at sslusser at sfchronicle.com. Support A's Plus and a lot of great journalism with a subscription to the San Francisco Chronicle. There are print and digital editions. Find out more at sfchronicle.com slash subscribe.